stay. So all month long, we've been talking about the four gifts. And today is no different. We're going to talk about the gift of unconditional love. And that is such a charged term for so many people. Because you ask someone, well, do you want unconditional love in your life? And they, of course, say yes. And you ask someone if they want to practice unconditional love, and they, of course, say yes. Who doesn't? But then the question becomes, well, how does that happen? What does true unconditional love look like? We can say that it looks like always loving and accepting every other person without reservation or hesitation. That's a good way to start. But at the end of the day, one of the things that we want to know in practice as true metaphysicians is that as this energy of God comes forward through the individual you, an energy that is pure, unconditional love, it will always come forward individualized. It will always allow you to accept and express your highest thought, your highest intention of what unconditional love means to you. Therefore, it becomes important for us to understand there is no right or wrong way to express or receive unconditional love because no one's keeping score. And if you're setting your intention to just express what you believe, what you feel unconditional love to be, then you have lived your divinity in that moment. And that's all that can ever be asked of any of us, is to live our divinity in each and every moment. And we're reminded of the holiday season, through the holiday season, of what it's about, right? Unconditional love, joy, grace, experiencing peace on earth. And that sounds great, that feels good, and then we have to go to the mall. And it's like, oh my God. And we get all excited about going shopping and doing presents. And then we realize, but when I do that, I have to spend time with the relatives. And that's the true miracle of the season, making it through the holidays with the relatives without unloading on them. There you go. So we want to begin moving into an awareness that, well, what does the holiday mean to me? What does it mean within metaphysics? And I like to point out to folks that in the science of mind, Dr. Holmes is not shy, is not coy about his practice and his teaching of what he perceived to be the teachings of Jesus. He in no ways, in no way attempts to rob this great metaphysician of the work that he did and or of the profound of his pro, or of his profound teachings. Rather, what he does is deliver them in such a way that we understand the true teachings of Jesus were about unconditional love, were about always living and being in that presence, that aura, that persona of true givingness, true divine grace. And if we don't find it in those teachings, we can also find it in the teachings of the Buddha, in the teachings of the Torah. And we can go on and on and on because all theologies share one truth. And that one truth is basically they're all kind of built on the golden rule, aren't they? Love unto others as you would have others 
love onto you. I tweaked it a little bit for the lesson. You like that? I, I thought so. So Henry, Henry Drummond said, when you, you will find, as you look back upon your life, that the moments when you have really lived are the moments when you have done things in the spirit of love. The spirit of love is always the life of God. And as we're celebrating this holiday season, I always know it is about celebrating the spirit of love. Celebrating it in such a way that we kind of transcend this need to gift wrap that love and allow our love to be, the love that we express, to be about the actions that we take. You know, we decorated, Dan and I decorated the center week before last, and we set the tables up this week. And it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And physical work. And, you know, I'm just not used to that. Anyway, however, however, the, the, the caveat to this is we stopped exchanging holiday presents about, I'm thinking, 10 years ago. Because we realized we did not want to put each other through the hustle and bustle that is associated with the malls, etc., so our way to experience this unconditional love is to come in and set up the center, to come up to and set it up for you, to experience this love, this joy of the season by allowing you the opportunity and the joy of being in the presence of all these expressions of love that are around you. And that is our Christmas gift to each other. Now, if there's something that we need or if there's something that we want, we'll make the commitment to go and shop the holiday sales afterwards together. But as far as exchanging gifts, there is no greater gift to give for us than to present this center for you to enjoy during the holiday season. And I share this with you because we have found this to be very satisfying to us. Spiritually satisfying, emotionally satisfying, and somewhere along the way, I, we, hope that you take the time to do that. That somewhere along your travels in the next week or so, you take that deep breath and say, what is the greatest gift I can give? What is my greatest gift of love that I can give that doesn't involve wrapping paper or a bag? What does that look like for you? And what will it will what tremendous emotion of love will begin to come forward through you and allow for a greater expression of growth? This is what we want to realize is that love has no conditions. Love as we teach it, love as we practice it, has no conditions. <coughs> Pardon me, age, race, gender, sexuality doesn't matter. It is about recognizing the divine within each and every individual, recognizing that each individual in coming, person coming forward is that consciousness of Christ, that Christ consciousness centered in this perfection that is before you. And when you see that and you experience that aura of that individual, for maybe for the first time or the thousandth time, as the pure light and love of presence, why? That's just the greatest holiday gift that you could ever receive. Ever receive. 
So we implore you, strongly recommend that you consider such an activity. Dr. Holmes said this in The Science of Mind. He said, Jesus spent much of his time communing with his own soul, for it is through our inner thought that we contact God. Out of the silence of our own soul, out, excuse me, out of the silence of his own soul came a direct revelation of his oneness with God. As the external Jesus gave way, gave way to the divine, the human took on the Christ spirit and became the voice of God to humanity. This is important for us because as we celebrate the holiday season, we take a slight turn from the traditional and say we're celebrating that voice of God, that whisper of presence within all people at all times. And so the holidays for us become much more than just giving presents. It becomes our opportunity to live in this awareness of source, to live and be this expression of unconditional love in all that we do. And what is unconditional love? Well, again, according to Holmes, it is the formative energy of spirit. It is how the universe manifests and transcends its joy and grace is through unconditional love. See, when you're practicing Reiki or when you're practicing affirmative prayer or when you're doing your affirmations and all that great stuff that we promote and teach and to center, what you're really and truly, do, truly doing is practicing unconditional love. Unconditional love. And so I like to share a holiday story, I always do, for the holiday season. A story of unconditional love. Many of you will know it. Some of you might be hearing it for the first time. And the train just adds a great deal of, of authenticity to this story. And you'll understand that in a minute. It's not a story about Johnny Cash, though. I'll tell you that. So just go on to this Christmas memory story with me. Imagine a morning late November. Consider the kitchen of a spreading old house. A black stove is its main feature, but there is also a big round table and a fireplace with two rocking chairs placed in front of it. Just today, the fireplace commenced its seasonal roar. A woman with white hair is standing at the kitchen window, wearing a gray sweater over a summery calico dress. She is small and sprightly, but due to a youthful illness, her shoulders are hunched. Her face is remarkable, tinted by sun, finely boned, and her eyes are sherry-colored. Oh my, she exclaims, it's fruitcake weather. The person to whom she is speaking is myself. I am seven. She is sixty-something. We are cousins, distant ones, and we have lived together as long as I can remember. Other people inhabit the house, relatives, and though they have power over us and frequently make us cry, we are not on the whole too much aware of them. We are each other's best friend. She calls me Buddy in memory of a boy who was formerly her best friend. The other buddy died when she was a child. It's always the same. A morning arrives in November, 
and my friend as though officially inaugurating the Christmas season announces, it's fruitcake weather. Together, we guide our buggy into a grove of pecan trees. Three hours later, we are back in the kitchen hauling pecans. We eat our supper, cold biscuits, bacon, blackberry jam, and discuss tomorrow. Tomorrow, the kind of work I like best begins. Buying cherries and vanilla, canned pineapple, raisins and whiskey. Before these purchases can be made, there's the question of money. Neither of us has any. Except for skin flint sums, persons in the house occasionally provide. A dime is considered big money. Or what we can earn for ourselves from various activities. Once we won 79th prize, $5 in a national football contest. Not that we know a full thing about football. It's just we enter any contest we hear about. At the moment, our hopes are centered on the $50,000 grand prize being offered to name a new brand of coffee. We suggested AM, and after some hesitation, for my friend thought it perhaps sacrilegious, the slogan, AM, Amen. But one way and another, each year we accumulate a fruitcake fund. These monies we keep hidden in an ancient bead purse under a loose board, under the floor, under a chamber pot, under my friend's bed. The purse is seldom removed except to make a deposit, or as happens every Saturday night, a withdrawal. For on Sundays, I'm allowed 10 cents to go to the picture show. My friend has never been to a picture show, nor does she intend to. I'd rather hear you tell the story, buddy. That way I can imagine it more. With supper finished, we retire to the retire to the room in a faraway part of the house, and we take the bead purse from its secret place and spill its contents. According to her calculations, we have $12.73. According to mine, exactly 13 I do hope you're wrong, buddy. We can't mess around with 13 Why, I would, wouldn't dream of getting out of bed on the 13th. And this is true. She always spends 13ths in bed. So to be on the safe side, we subtract a penny and toss it out the window. Of the ingredients that go into our fruitcakes, whiskey is perhaps the hardest to come by. State law forbids its sale. But everybody knows you can buy a bottle from Mr. Ha Ha Jones. So the next day, we set out for Mr. Ha Ha's business. A sinful fish fry and dancing cafe. We've been there before on the same errand, but our dealings have been with Haha's wife. We've never laid eyes on her husband. We heard that he's a giant of a man with razor scars across his cheeks. They call him Haha because he's so gloomy, a man who never laughs. As we approach his cafe, our steps slow. I knock at the door. Queenie barks. My friend calls out, Mrs. Haha, -Ha, ma'am, anyone home? Footsteps. Our hearts overturn. It's Mr. Haha -Ha Jones himself, 
and he is a giant, and he does have scars. He doesn't smile and demands to know what you want with haha. For a moment, we were too paralyzed to tell. My friend finds her voice. If you please, Mr. Haha, we'd like a quarter of your finest whiskey. It's for making fruitcakes. He frowns. That's no way to waste good whiskey. Nevertheless, he retreats, and seconds later appears, carrying a bottle, and says, Two dollars. We pay him with nickels and dimes and pennies. Suddenly, jangling the coins in his hand, his face softens. Tell you what, pouring the money back into our bead purse, just send me one of them fruitcakes instead. Well, my friend remarks on our way home, there's a lovely man. We'll put an extra cup of raisins in his cake. The black stove glows like a lighted pumpkin. Egg beaters whirl. Spoons spin round in bowls of butter and sugar. Vanilla sweetens the air. In four days, our work is done. Thirty-one cakes, dampened with whiskey, bask on the window sills. Who are they for? Friends. Not necessarily neighbor friends, but the larger share intended for persons who we met maybe once, perhaps not at all, people who struck our fancy, like President Roosevelt. The cakes are gone. We catered the last of them to the post office, where the cost of stamps turned our purse inside out. We're broke. My friend insists on celebrating, with two inches of whiskey left in Haha's bottle. Queenie has a spoonful of spoonful and a bowl of coffee. The rest we divide between a pair of jelly glasses. We're both quite awed at the prospect of drinking whiskey. The taste of it brings screwed up expressions and sour shudders. But by and by, we begin to sing. We begin to giggle. Queenie rolls on her back, something like a grin stretches her black lips. My friend waltzes around the stove, the hem of her calico skirt pinched between her fingers, as though it were a, par as though it were a party dress. Enter two relatives. Listen to what they have to say. A child of seven, whiskey on the breath. Road to ruination. Remember Cousin Kate, Uncle Charlie. Scandal. Humiliation. Kneel, pray, beg the Lord. Queenie sneaks under the stove. My friend gazes at her shoes, her chin quivers. She lifts her skirt and blows her nose and runs to her room. The house is silent, and she's weeping into a pillow. Don't cry, I say, sitting at the bottom of her bed. Don't cry. I beg, tickling her feet. You're too old for that. If you don't stop crying, you'll be... So tired tomorrow we can't cut a tree. She straightens up. Queenie jumps up on the bed. I know where we'll find real pretty trees, buddy. And holly, too. With berries as big as your eyes. It's way off in the woods. Papa used to bring us trees from there. I can't wait till morning. We're almost there. Can you smell it, buddy? As though we were approaching an ocean of scented acres of holiday trees. We set about choosing a tree. It should be, muses my friend, twice as tall as a boy, so a boy can't steal the star. The one we pick is twice as tall as me. 
A trunk in the attic contains coils of frazzled tinsel gold, gone, frazzled tinsel gone gold with age, one silver star, a brief rope of dilapidated, dangerous, candy-like light bulbs. Our next project is fashioning of the fashioning of family gifts. Tie-dye scarves for the ladies. For the men, home-brewed licorice and aspirin syrup to be taken at the first symptoms of a cold. But when it comes for making each other's gifts, my friend and I separate. I would like to buy her a pearl-handed knife, a radio, a whole pound of chocolate-covered cherries. We tasted some once, and she always swears, I could live on them, buddy, Lord, yes, I could, and that's not taking his name in vain. Instead, I am building her a kite. She would like to give me a bicycle. If only I could, buddy. It's bad enough in life to do without something you want, but confound it, what gets my goat is not being able to give somebody something you want them to have. One of these days, I will locate you a bike. Don't ask how. Steal it, maybe. Instead, I'm fairly certain that she is building me a kite, the same as last year and the year before, all of which is fine by me. We are champion kite flyers. Buddy, are you awake? It's my friend calling from her room next to mine. An instant later, she is sitting on my bed. I can't sleep a hoot, she declares. Buddy, do you think Mrs. Roosevelt will serve our cake at dinner? She squeezes my hand. I love you. Seems like your hand used to be so much smaller. I guess I hate to see you grow up. When you grow up, will we still be friends? I say always. But I feel so bad, buddy. I wanted to give you a bike. I tried to sell the cameo Papa gave me. Buddy, I get I built you another kite. Then I confess I made her one too, and we laugh. Possibly we doze, but the beginnings of dawn splash us like cold water, and we're up wide-eyed and wondering while we wait for others to waken. Quite deliberately, my friend drops a kettle on the kitchen floor. I tap dance in front of closed doors. One by one, the household emerges looking as though they'd like to kill us both. But it's Christmas, so they can't. Well, I'm disappointed. Who wouldn't be? Socks, a Sunday school shirt, some handkerchiefs, a hand-me-down sweater, and a year's subscription to a religious magazine, The Little Shepherd. My friend has a better haul. A sack of candy, a wool shawl, she says her favorite gift is the kite I built her. It's very beautiful, though not as beautiful as the one she made me. Buddy, the wind is blowing. And the wind is blowing and nothing will do till we run to a pasture where Queenie has scooted to bury her bone and where winter hints, Queenie will be buried too. There we unreal our kites. We sprawl in the grass. My, how foolish I am, my friend cries. You know what I've always thought, she asked, in a tone of discovery. I always thought a body would have to be sick and dying before they saw the Lord. I'll wager at the very end, a body realizes the Lord has already shown himself 
but things as they are, her hand circles in a gesture that gathers the clouds, kites, grass, and queenie. Things as they are, what they've always seen, was seeing the Lord. This is our last Christmas together. Life separates us. Those who know best decide I belong in a military school. I have a new home too. But home is where my friend is and there I never go. She remains putting around the kitchen alone with Queenie, then alone. Buddy dear, she writes, yesterday Jim Macy's horse kicked Queenie bad. I wrapped her in a sheet and rode her in the buggy down to Simpson's pasture where she can be with all her bones. For a few Novembers, she continues to bake her fruitcakes, not as many, but some, and of course she always sends me the best of the batch. Gradually in her letters, she tends to confuse me more with her other friend buddy, the buddy who died in the 1880s. More and more, 13ths are not the only days she stays in bed. A morning arrives in November, a leafless, birdless coming of winter morning, when she cannot rouse herself to exclaim, oh my, it's fruitcake weather. And when that happens, I know it. A message saying so merely confirms a piece of news some secret vein had already received, severing me from an irreplaceable part of myself, letting it loose like a kite on a broken string. This is why, walking across a school campus on this particular December morning, I keep searching the sky as if I expected to see, rather like hearts, a lost pair of kites hurrying towards heaven. You see the gift of unconditional love, living in that awareness, living in that truth, it has no restrictions. It has no restrictions to age, to gender, to race, any, any other assignment from the human ego. Love has one intention, and it is to be expressed, to be expressed with the knowing that as we express, we may or may not receive that love back. And that's not relevant. What is it relevant is that we express best of our unconditional love that we can and do so from that intention that when we're expressing unconditional love to those around us what we're doing is receiving the gift to be that master creator within our journey to be that presence of source in all that I do Robert Baden-Powell wrote the question is not what can I get but what can I give in life there have been times when I've given some very expensive gifts. I don't remember of one of them. I do remember all the times I was allowed and allowed myself to just express unconditional love. And that is my Christmas memory. I know you have them too. And as you go about this holiday week, remember, those are the ones that matter. Those are the ones that when you think back upon are going to bring that smile to your face and a little joy to your heart. You know, Wednesday night, 
along with Sibley, presented a workshop on EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique. And many people note this as tapping. She did an excellent job, an actual excellent presentation. She's going to be doing more on emotional freedom techniques. I now I just want to say tapping um, in the months ahead. And she'll be talking about tapping for, for health and wealth in, in the series coming up ahead. And I, I love this because I love learning about new aspects and ways to pr promote and experience spirituality. So in EFT, you're focusing mainly on the meridians. And I just went blank on the meridian. Which of meridian, Saloma? The acupuncture meridians. And so you would tap here or and you would tap here and here. And I'm messing this up. Loma's going, oh dear. And then you would tap here. And then you would tap down here, right? Everybody do this one. She had us all doing this. It doesn't mean anything right now. I just wanted to see if I could get you to tap under your arm. But one of, the, one of the tapping techniques was you would tap here, right? And so this is all about the acupuncture meridians. And so afterwards, I told Aloma, you know, that, that presentation was wonderful. And you know what I realized while you were doing your presentation? She said, what? I said, I realized I was never spanked as a child that my mother was just practicing EFT on my lower meridians. <laughs> I was tapped a lot as a child. Naughty or nice, why limit me, baby? <clears throat> but in Aloma's presentation, she did something. She shared a piece that I want to share with you guys now. And the piece is from Mary, uh, Mary, Marianne Williamson. And it's, her, it's a poem she wrote about our greatest fear. And a lot, a lot of folks note this piece because Nelson Mandela shared it in his inauguration speech. And so I'm going to share this with you right now. And she, Marianne Williamson wrote, Our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate, but, they are that, but that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant gorgeous, handsome, talented, and fabulous. Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are born to make manifest the glory of God within us. It's not just in some, it is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we consciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Powerful words. And our intention for operating in the consciousness of unconditional love. Now the next thing that Aloma did was she shared another piece related to that by a very profound and, and spiritually wise metaphysical teacher. It was mine. And I had, but I had forgotten about this piece and I had adapted this piece from Marianne Williamson to, to a course I was teaching on abundance and prosperity. And so it was, it was, it just moved me so much that I decided let's apply it 
let's adapt this for the holiday season. And so we're going to shift it up just a little bit. And I invite you to accept this with me. Our greatest fear is not that we will not receive love, but that we are the power of love beyond measure. It is our love, not our solitude, that frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to express unconditional love, compassion, kindness, forgiveness, and grace? Actually, who are you not to be? You are the living embodiment of the love of the Christ consciousness personified. Your withholding love does not serve the world. There is nothing empowering about not expressing the love of the Christ consciousness to all so that other people won't feel doubtful around you. We are on this journey to make manifest the love of God within us. The Christ consciousness is not just in some, it is within all. And as we freely let our own divine love be expressed, we consciously give others permission to do the same. As we are emancipated through living as the love of our Christ consciousness, the loving energy of our soul automatically emancipates others. This is what the holiday season is for. To live your expression of your Christ consciousness on the terms that you define, on the terms that you define, that serve you best, with the, with the awareness that as you express that love on the terms that serve you individually best, what you are really doing is practicing evolving that spirit of source energy through you with ease. So it can't be forced. It can't be an expression of love that matches or lives up to someone else's expectation. It has to be that expression of love that brings you individually unsurpassed amounts of, of joy and grace. So this holiday season, I affirm you live and thrive as the boundless joy, infinite grace, and unconditional love you have arrived on this journey to be. Be this love, and this love will be all your experience. We'll close with Charles Dickens. It is said of him that he always knew how to keep Christmas well. If any man alive possessed the knowledge but that be truly said, may that be truly said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. Namaste. All right. If you would please say the offering affirmation with me. Infinite mind. In, as, and through me, blesses and multiplies my offering. It does its good and perfect work. It does its good and perfect work. And returns to me. 
and returns to me multiplied abundantly multiplied abundantly